downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hey, it's Dr. Lisa, and it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I give a shit. How are you doing today? Good? You know what? I, I got myself, can I just tell you something? I got myself to to do this hike tomorrow, and I, I even went and bought equipment, which is so, out. like, me in Paragon buying athletic equipment is a total joke, and uh, I had it all worked out, and now it's going to fucking rain, fucking thunderstorm tomorrow, so uh, thank God I have such a great guest on today, Sherilyn Neidhart, because otherwise I'd be really depressed, so I can just put that aside and just focus on what I'm doing. So thanks a lot for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, did you know, so like, I want to tell you something. We are really, we are really killing it with this after, with this teen after school program. We have the show called Teens Take the Mic, and now we have this whole program. And we got this like grant, so it's partially funded for our whole vision for all the teenagers and we need we need to we need to get you guys to help out because bringing radio and teenagers together is really important because if you don't they will be in your neighborhood uh you know wrecking up your houses and cars and shit like that so i think what's really important uh is that you help us fund it no it's really it's really a good program and i'm really proud of our station for like we're not getting paid to do this. We just do this, and I'm really proud of us. So go to radiofreebrooklyn.org/slash/afterschool and donate money. Keep those kids off your lawn, Mister. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, so today is uh, I I am really really thrilled to have Sherilyn Neidhart on. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sherilyn Neidhart. Say hi, Sherilyn. Hello. Do you trust what I'm going to say about you? <laughs> Should I? <laughs> no, definitely not. But I'm going to say it. You're going to say it. I'm going to say it. You're captive in the studio. You said you do the show. You, unless you're going to run out right now, you got to listen to this, folks. Anyway, you know, the reason Sherilyn is on today is because she has a solo show opening at, I think, my favorite gallery, Art During the Occupation gallery which is out here in bushwick you know next friday night the 7th september 7th they're gonna you guys should come out here because it's gonna be like the craziest party ever just all the galleries are opening for their fall season it's gonna be like it's gonna be wild i mean really you're gonna be reading about this with like fomo the worst fomo you can imagine you're gonna be missing out if you don't fucking come to this but the center of this for me is Sherilyn's solo show at Arts Art During the Occupation Gallery, which is at 119 Ingraham Avenue, which is right off the uh, Morgan L stop. The opening is from 6 to 9, okay? So I, I've told you about that now. You should come to it. The show's up till September 30th, and it's a really, really interesting show, and it's really... Um, evocative so i'm going to tell you about Sherilyn and her art and the show and then i'm going to get Sherilyn to tell you about her art okay <laughs> no she's just going to describe the show i'm going to describe her so Sherilyn is a um really uh 
uh, somebody I've gotten to know since I've moved to Bushwick. I've gotten to know her maybe over the last four or five years. I don't even know. It feels like I've known her forever. And she is somebody that I, I'm going to say this. This is so cheesy, but it's true. I look up to you, Sherilyn. Did oh you God. know that? I fucking look <laughs> up to you. And this is why. Because Sherilyn is really, really smart, really, really creative, and sensible in the perfect balance, which is very rare in this hood and then in this world. So she's, you know, like if you want, if you want like a good answer or good, you know, Sherilyn's got her shit together, man. And, um, but this, but this, um, these paintings, which you can see, you should see live, but you can also see them on our website like I did so I could at least talk about the show. And that's, SharilynArt.com, S-H-A-R-I-L-Y-N, art.com. And her paintings are, um, they're like double exposures. She's uh, local, like locals, local, well, the show is called Supermassive Black Hole. And the idea is that it's, she's talking it's a feeling, okay? The paintings are amazing because there are these beautiful, uh, uh, luscious, and sort of a dark party, I think is a good mm. way to put it. Like that party where everybody's like dancing and there's just something not, you know, some bad's going down, but it, you're everybody's having a good time. You don't know. <laughs> Somebody's fucking in the bedroom or maybe, you know, something like that. Or, or maybe in the middle of the room i don't know you know what i mean you've been to like a you know and an, like a diy space they're kind of like that except that the actual quality of the painting is like incredibly sophisticated and the thing about Sherilyn is her ability to draw and paint and her drive to draw and paint because i studied illustration and i spent my entire life or up until I finally gave up after I graduated college and realized I didn't have the skills that I wished I had that Sherilyn possesses, that is just this magical ability to draw and paint. And, you know, I could draw, okay, I studied illustration, I could make 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 a visual, I could make things known, but Sherilyn really commands the paint in a very... Um, deliberate and original and evocative and she's really in there like there's a there's the the paintings sing for real and her exhibition is eight very large paintings and the literal idea i think is mostly about um the end she wrote uh she, she calls it end stage capitalism and i is that is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, human feelings in the ed, age of late stage capitalism, and uh, you know, it's kind of like everybody's having a good time, but there's just something not quite right, and that's the feeling you get from the paintings that sort of permeates that I'm sure will permeate the room. But mostly, I just want to emphasize how um, the, the the quality of these paintings the the um, communication of the feeling and the way they are painted is just incredibly, incredibly masterful. And I can't emphasize that enough without sounding cheesier than I do already. So 
Sherilyn, what I want you to do is try and describe the show a little bit in your own words, because we already made a solid point about the actual work. So can you tell us what the meaning or the feeling of the show that you had in mind, that you have in mind? Well, yeah, um, it is hard to talk about paintings on the radio, (laughs) but I think I can say they're extremely colorful and I am trying to with the double I work from double exposure photographs that I take myself and with that I'm trying to give kind of a cinematic feeling of movement to the paintings as well so that they can live and not just be dead images on a wall Um, I want them to evoke a feeling of movement and a feeling of motion because I that's how I feel about the city that we live in and the world around us something is happening something is in motion beneath the surface that i think we're all aware of and we're just not quite sure what it is That's so perfectly put i struggled with that for half the show now i should have just shut up uh anyway and i i wanted you i love the titles one of them is really dark so i thought maybe we, you could just describe this is actually the one this is the one i picked out to describe as but it's actually the one on the card the title is called licking your wounds to get blood on my teeth so what does that title evoke or what what made you use that's a really that's dark see what i mean what, um, are, what are you trying to tell us here so all of the all of the painting titles and also the title of the show are from song lyrics because uh i as we discussed before i'm a little bit OCD and I get song lyrics stuck in my head all the time mm. um, so I'll usually name a painting after w- uh, the song that w- I was obsessed with while I was making the painting mm-hmm. um, Lick Your Wounds to Get Blood on My Teeth is from a Matthew Deere song called mm-hmm. Ahead of Myself mm-hmm. and he says I'll, I will lick your wounds to get blood on my teeth mm. Mm. well that's dark isn't it and then the next thing he says is, but wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to be releasing a playlist on iTunes and Spotify before oh. the show with these songs and also other songs I listened to while I was creating the paintings. We'll also be playing the playlist at the opening party oh. on the 7th. Oh, that's fabulous. See, I told you it's going to be a good party. That oh, sounds... it's going to be a rad party. <laughs> there know. will be cupcakes. <laughs> and cupcakes. <laughs> um, so I want to uh, dive deeper into Sherilyn, but we also want to make sure that we talk about this other project that she's very uh, deeply involved in called Transcender which is a really um, valuable and um, community project that Christopher Stout of Art During the Occupation started, which, uh, where, wait, why don't you tell us about it? Sure, I'd be more than happy to. It's uh, something that's really changed my life, honestly. Transcender is an art community, and we get together once a month, and for our monthly meetings, which are usually the last Tuesday of the month at uh, Brooklyn Fireproof at 119 Ingram. For our meetings, uh, usually a half dozen artists have about 10 minutes to show 10 slides of their work and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really simple format. Um, and I run this with two other people, Mir Musa and Tim Gowan. We take turns curating the night. So, uh, I think my next one is going to be in November. I'll bring in six artists. 
And when is the next show, though? Or the September, next? It's going to be September 25th. Okay, it's not it's really. Gonna be mirrors. It, it's so it's at uh, the same space, one one nine Ingraham Street, or not this, you know, same building, and uh, it's just a really great community way for all the artists in the neighborhood to come together and review each other's work and get ideas and stimulated and you know make connections and see their friends every month, and uh, it's you know every artist community should do this because it really has made. Bushwick a really special place just because this has been going on for years where people all get together once a month and know that they have a place to go so I'm going to just say uh, Sherilyn's a big part of that and uh, it's not all about her you know she gives a lot she gives a lot back um, so when I was doing my uh, research on Sherilyn here uh I thought I knew her pretty well, but I, I had to do some more research. And I found she had actually sent me a link, and I recommend it to you. It's uh, it's a, it's a uh, story, she well, a story or uh, a thought piece that she wrote called Why I Draw, and it's on Drawing New York. And it's it was really meaningful to me because she really talks about the role that drawing has in her life. And I haven't you know, knowing knowing her the way I do, I sense that because I see that she is in drawing, you know, goes to life drawing all the time, like, you know, several times a week, which is a big deal for, for somebody with a job as a photo editor for a nice publication. So she does that all the time. And um, what she she wrote about it in a way that it really felt it fulfills an emotional need in her. And one of the things, here's the quote. Here's a quote that I took out. Uh, Drawing takes so much of my concentration that it cleanses my mind of all other worries. I lose myself in the lines. And then she even spoke about it as an addiction. So one of the things that we talked about before we were on the air is that Sharon is sober. I knew that. Sharon is sober. And... Um, just how uh, magical and fabulous and just what ins- inspiration is because she has actually taken the journey fr- from sobriety and taken it into her art. And uh, I thought we, I thought I'll just ask her about that shit because that's really okay, cool. That's really dark, <laughs> just like her work. You know what I mean? This is dark shit. She's she's a fucking yeah she's a fucking she's an alcoholic. It's true. I'm she's alcoholic. in recovery. You're in fucking <laughs> recovery. Doesn't that sound ridiculous though? You're recover. I mean, I know, I know it's serious shit. And we shouldn't be making fun of it, but uh, you're about as recovered as you're more. You don't. You're more recovered than anybody I know. So, <laughs> well, uh, one thing that I have learned in sobriety is that uh, AA is full of cliches, and they're every single one of them's true. Um, oh, and mm. what you know, it's one day at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be clear of my addiction to alcohol. It's something that I have to deal with every single day. So we were talking about a little, and it sounds like it's kind of genetic. Do you want to tell us like how 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 it how it started? Sure. I mean, it's alcohol was such a fact of my life. Um, I, it kind of it even just was the background. Because I started drinking probably age 17 when I went to college. 
Um, and I do remember that kind of aha moment of getting drunk for the first time and thinking like, wow, awesome. This pretty much spells out my life path. This is the solution to all problems. So was it like the first time you had your first drink, you got drunk? No, not at all. Uh, what happened? Or- I was blessed with a very high tolerance for alcohol. <laughs> oh, so you felt drunk, but you didn't drink a lot. No, it's more like uh, the first couple of times I drank, I didn't drink enough to get drunk because I can't, my liver can process a lot of alcohol. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. So um, anyway, you so that's when you started. And then did you develop, you know, so did you drink a lot in college then? I drank a lot in college. Um, and I think, I mean, obviously... This is just my perspective, which Mm -hmm. is necessarily compromised. But I I think I was a pretty functional alcoholic. I never lost a job because of alcohol. I'm I'm sure I strained many relationships Mm -hmm. because of it. But, um, you know, I I was in a place where I could could function. Were you a day drink? Did you start in the morning? No, not so much, but definitely drank every day. Right, but mostly after work? Yeah, probably. I, I usually made myself wait until 5 p.m. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So you're pretty highly functional <laughs> pretty and high self protective. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and and I was protective of my drinking. I made sure that the structures were set up so that I could continue drinking. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, it sounds like it was. Um, you know, it. I think it sounds a lot like it was genetic in a way. Sure. There's tons of alcoholism and drug addiction in my family. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, that's my my dad's uh, sober. He was really uh, influential on me, and also really helped me in early sobriety. Uh huh. So you were able to tell them. Yeah, or- some of the talks I had with my dad my first year of sobriety were like kind of mind blowing. Really? Yeah. Like what did? Just because he's been sober for like forty years, and I feel like he was a high school teacher. I feel like he's just kind of seen it all. Hmm. So did he understand? He understood what you were going through. Yeah, he had encouraged me to uh, look at my drinking previously, and I just wasn't in a place where I could do it. And then all of a sudden, I really was. So what happened? Um, I was kind of having some health problems, and I went, like, they seemed minor to me, but I went and had a blood panel done, and the doctor told me, your liver is failing, and if you keep drinking, your liver will fail. They won't give you a new liver because you're an alcoholic, so Mm -hmm. you need to stop drinking. Wow. And I think the doctor kind of suggested to me, like, maybe cut back. But I knew that I couldn't cut back. Yeah. I knew I needed to stop. Um, so I tried. I, I set a goal to stop drinking for 30 days. And at the end of that 30 days, I felt so amazing. Really? I <laughs> like, imagine. I was in a kind of ecstasy. Really? Yes. I was like, oh, God. What? Why did no one tell me how awesome it is to stop drinking? You felt great. Yeah, I was very sick for like the first two weeks. Uh-huh. And then um, once I got past that, I felt physically amazing. I can't imagine. All of the anxiety and terror started coming in for me too. Um, but physically, I knew it was the right decision. Like my body is just healthier. There's just no two ways about that. Wow. I had I had been stressing my body out with drinking. Oh yeah, I mean we especially the latest report: all alcohol is bad. That's no fun. I know. Um, and then um, so 
that was it hard to did you did, did you go to meetings or had it was it a lot of self-discipline or well i mean i think i'd like to think it was a lot of self-discipline i'm not sure i think it was more fear of dying uh-huh um just because after that experience the physical toll it was taking on me seemed so clear ah uh, i see once and, you stopped drinking you realized yeah and I think I did go to meetings uh, in my first year. Mm-hmm. AA is not super great for me. I mm-hmm. still do go sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how long is it? How long have you been sober? I'm almost to my five year mark, and wow. I'm very excited about that. That is really cool. Yeah, and um, you're in your forties. Yes, I'm forty seven. And and uh, so um, yeah, that's impressive. That's very. So, but the thing that's so interesting uh, is that the way that you talked about art sort of taking over that that need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a lot of people have remarked to me that I'm a very productive artist. I make a lot of yeah. work, um, and that's I would say ninety nine percent sobriety for me. I was a painter before, and I made I made art. Um, I didn't start taking it as seriously until I got sober. About six months after I got sober, I started making art almost obsessively. I made art all the time. Mm-hmm. What I, did you do? Tell us about that. I would come home from work and um, just make little watercolor paintings that were like six by six inches. Um, but I couldn't stop. It was all I thought about when I was at work. I was like, I just want to go home and make little watercolor paintings. Just with They were like kind of Mondrian-esque, like just squares and rectangles. Mm-hmm. Like kind of subconscious stuff. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to make marks. And, I just wanted to... And just so we understand your things. background as an artist, I mean, you were one of those... Sherilyn is like so natural talent. A ta- talented at drawing and stuff so you were one of those kids who was really good all through school right but at drawing yeah I've always but drawn. you didn't study that and you weren't serious about being an artist in college would you do study in college um I studied international relations and then comparative literature mm-hmm. and you, so you weren't thinking about being an artist no I took a painting class in college and I hated it um i didn't like the assignments i thought they were stupid mm. well they actually were stupid. probably um and i took a art history class that i just found stultifying and it's so funny because i actually love art history now <laughs> <laughs> i think either that class must have being taught teacher. poorly or teacher. i just wasn't into it i don't mm-hmm. know i was 19 what did i know mm-hmm. so um so anyway, so then when you, um, so finding your way back to painting, like were you painting, how much painting were you doing before you got sober? Like what would, what was your... I had an easel set up in my house and like I'd make 12 or 14 paintings a year, but I mean, I can make that in a month now. Wow. I have a studio that's wow. not far from here right. and I, pay, I paint, if I'm not at home, like Netflixing while I fall asleep on the couch, I'm at my studio. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. That is fabulous. Have you seen your work grow by leaps and bounds? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Just the investment of time is a huge change for me. I mean, you know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours. And uh, I think that's really been true for me. The more I apply myself, the more time I spend thinking about making visual art, the deeper it goes for me. It seems almost limitless. 
Well, what's so cool about it is that, you know, I'm hearing now that, you know, this has only been a journey, a serious journey of like the last five years. And now you're having like this really major solo show with like these huge, how big are the paintings? They're huge. They're quite large. They're as large as I could make in my studio. Um, The largest one is eight feet across. Okay. Yeah. So you have eight of those, which you've made in like a year or less or... Or, well, been, you made a I think lo- it's been about a year and a half that I've been working on this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since last June. Mm-hmm. Including all the other drawing classes. and I mean, this is just drawing. one series. I have, mm-hmm. there, I'm always working on a ton of projects because uh, uh, I'm kind of OCD. Yeah, um, yeah you made a lot more work than this. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. I know you have. I'm working on a series of drawings based on people I see in the subway. Um, they're mm-hmm. on pieces of uh, aluminum composite that I salvaged from Ingram Street, actually. Mm-hmm. They're uh, cut to to look like... They're actually signs. Like they were going to be stop signs or yield signs. But they screwed up or something. I don't know. I found 20 of them on the street. So I'm painting onto those aluminum sheets pictures of people on the subway. Oh, wow. Oh, that sounds really, that sounds really neat. And I also, you know, I remember when I first saw your work, I think it was around the first time, I was really drawn to the paintings you were making about uh, cops or something. Oh, yeah. What was what was what was that about again? So I did a previous series called I Love a Man in a Uniform. (laughs) And uh, as you can see, I use song lyrics a lot. Um, Every yeah, that's a song by uh, Gang of Four. I Love a Man in a Uniform. And each painting in that series is a, a lyric from the song. Ah. Uh, they're all based on photojournalism images that I got at work. And they're all uh, cops dressed in, usually in riot gear, at the scenes of peaceful protests mm-hmm. around America. So they really illuminate how we're prepared for war, even with our citizens just like at our, with our citizens. Yeah, right? that work was made in 2016 for the most part. Um, and those pieces, like there was a lot of civil unrest at that time. Um, in my job as a photo editor, I'm often going through looking at pictures mm-hmm. that are coming in from across mm-hmm. the country and around the world from the wire services. And this was a, a theme that I noticed that mm-hmm. the cops that were at peaceful protests were extremely heavily armed mm-hmm. um sometimes even with military equipment mm-hmm. which definitely seems like overkill to me right yeah yeah i know i know trump loves that shit so anyway let's do a station id what do you say <laughs> let's do it okay so and i just want to say thanks again for listening to dr lisa gives a shit on radio free brooklyn i'm here with my guest Sherilyn neidhart who's having a solo exhibition at Art During the Occupation Gallery. So we're talking about her, her relationship with her work, stuff like that. And um, the title of her show is Supermassive Black Hole, and it's going to be opening September 7th at Art During the Occupation Gallery, which is 119 Ingram Street, uh, which is at the L. Morgan Stop, and it's going to be a fucking amazing party. And uh, also Bushwick is a place to be that night because there's going there's like all the openings in the beginning of the season. And then I also want to remind you that we're doing this really great show with my good friend, host Ben 
Ben Talks Live. Ben is a really popular host at the station, and we're doing a, a lot. He's doing a live show, and it's September 10th, coming up at 9 p.m. at the Pine Box Rock Shop <laughs> at 12 Grattan Street in Brooklyn. Same bus, same uh, same stop, L Train to Morgan. And uh, so you should come to that, but don't forget about the seventh. You're you're gonna you're gonna be hearing a lot about this because there's so much going on. I'm sure you you will you'll be getting you'll be getting emails. You'll be getting harassed about it for sure. Um, so so how does it feel now that you have this show coming up? Like does does that kind of fit into like the storyline of like going from you know your begin like it's. It's interesting hearing about you talking about coming home and making those abstract watercolors. Mm. And now, so how does this feel for you when you look at it from that point of view? Um, yeah, I feel like this body of work is much like, at least in contrast to, say, the cops, or I did another series that were about bullet holes at the scenes of mass shootings. Um, those were the images I used for those processes were more rooted in photojournalism the images that I used as a jumping off place for supermassive black hole are photos I took myself. Right. And that's a really big difference because mm-hmm. it's sort of like the initial images were influenced by images you were seeing at work. And uh, these images, the the inspiration for these seem to be constructed more from your own your own life. Yes. Is, does it feel like that? Are yeah. Getting a call. I think you are getting a call. Okay, let's see. Hello? Oh, hi. Uh, my name's Alan. Hi. Hi, Alan. Are you calling because you want to win the book? Yes. Oh. Where are you going? I've tried to stream the radio station. I had problems, and I thought I'd call direct since I had the number. Just really, I'm out of town, so oh, yeah? I, I didn't even know I'd get even okay, the phone. Okay, so you know what? I'm going to get yeah. your address because this was a little awkward for me. Uh, yeah. We had Spencer and uh, Kristen on last week and Spencer Tunick and Kristen Buller. They, are, they do amazing, amazing work. And I, and oh, I yeah, want I you. To, that's how I found out about you. I know. And I'm telling my show. listeners yes. to go look at their oh, work okay, at SpencerTunick.com. And Spencer was so generous that he gave us a book. Uh, that he signed and he said we should give it away to the first caller and so now okay. that's you and I'm going to get your name and address and I'm going to send you the book. Thanks for calling. What's oh, your name? That's a miracle. I, figured, oh, I know. I wish I had I'm my so producer to do all this but look at this. This is a, okay, this is a non-profit radio station and we have to interrupt our, our intense interview for this but go ahead. Okay. Uh, my name's Alan. A-L-A-N last name Lane L-A-N-E Mm-hmm. Lane, and my uh, address is 20088. Mm-hmm. Tappan Z, like the bridge, Tappan, T-A-P-P-A-N. T-E-E. T-A-P-P? Yeah, T-A-P-P. At Tappan Z. What? Yeah. Uh, drive. Drive. Yes, I'm in Port, T-O-R-T, Port Charlotte, as in, like, the, the woman Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, C H A R. Got that. I mean, R L O of T. Yeah, yeah and Florida, that. 33952. 33952? 
Yes. Okay, Alan. Uh, uh, we're going to get this book off to you. Tell all your. You, make sure that you listen to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit every Thursday, 2 to 3. Make your friends do it and call back next week and tell me if you got the book. Oh, okay. Sorry, so there's a thunderstorm and dog bark. Yeah, so 2008 Tap NZ Drive in Port Charlotte. 20088. Uh, 32952, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, thanks for calling, Alan. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Well, we did that. We gave a book away. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations, Alan. That book's going to Florida. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. We made somebody happy. Yay. Now, now back to the paint. Now back to like the story of your life. Oh, right. Oh, that. <laughs> So anyway, I found it. Um, so we were talking about how um, I think it's really interesting that it seems like the earlier work that you did was influenced by the visuals that you were, let's say, confronted with. You you, you see thou- like hundreds, thousands of photos a day. Sometimes, yeah. And they're all newsworthy. Yeah, it's usually I'm usually looking at a feed of images that are being filed by photographers who are out in the field. So it's pretty immediate within Mm -hmm. the last couple hours. Right. So and that's obvious an interest of yours. And I know personally you're very politically astute and stuff like that. So it seems like you might have taken some of that uh, sensibility about like your how the pictures make you feel about what's happening out in the world and then just transferred that onto your own experience when you're out in the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so you're noticing your world. So all that drawing and one of the things that you talked about in your on in the article you wrote is uh, um, about how... Uh, how uh, I got distracted by, oh my God, (laughs) there's too much going on. Rob distracted me. So anyway, it just sounds like there was so much going on. Like, you know, like the feeling, there is a certain like reality that you bring to the imagery of what's really going on behind the actual photo and it seems like you've sort of taken that feeling and brought it and you were talking about in that article how you were really noticing how um when you draw you really see everything more clearly is that right yeah i i've had this experience that i was struggling to describe and i think a lot of people who draw will say they feel it too after you've been looking at a model for a couple of hours and Mm -hmm. trying to break down the shapes of a person in a room in a real world you're trying to use your brain to make that into lines and shapes Mm -hmm. and it's a hard project and for me it's so hard that i actually can't think about anything else when i'm doing it Mm -hmm. it crowds out like stuff i'm worried about friends i'm worried about like Mm-hmm. Do I have money? Did I remember to pay that bill? Like, <laughs> I can't think about any of those things mm-hmm. because drawing is a hard project for my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then when I release that pressure at the end of the session and I walk outside, the world looks different. Mm. It looks physically different to me. I'm like, oh, there's that triangle. Oh, I see how that shadow is falling across that the car. Like, isn't that interesting? 
oh, look, I see how the light from the subway station is making a soft shadow on the sidewalk. Isn't that interesting? And the world, like, I want to say it kind of flattens out, but it's not a dampening. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like um, the world is more like open to me now. Mm-hmm. So it's an actual perception. It's yes. just a physical, well, you know, it's, it's a perception. It's almost like doing drugs. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, It's almost like an acid flashback, which those are fun yeah no it sounds it sounds it sounds well it sounds like you really it really does have to do with what your brain has been doing mm-hmm. it, you know it gets into a mode that's very you know cognitive or whatever it just doesn't turn off that way you kind of get into it and then i guess you have to get out of it or you know transition into it transition out of it just like a lot of physical just like fucking yoga, folks. You know what yoga is. <laughs> Sounds just like yoga. Except you wind up with a painting instead of a sore back. <laughs> you might not be doing yoga right. I'm not doing any fucking <laughs> yoga. Are you kidding? I'm too cynical for that. <laughs> so speaking of cynical and stuff, so how about the, let's talk about the dark feelings. Because they, they're coming out in your work, sure. right? So, yeah, I, mean, I think so. In a, <laughs> Which is what makes them sort of attractive because they're, they're not, it makes, it's the, the feelings are there and it makes them interesting. I mean, unless you like, you know, still live it for me. I mean, there are people who like really nice, pretty paintings and stuff like that. And they just want to be see everything nice and sound of music like. And so, um, but are those dark feelings? Is there stuff that haunts you like artists? Like art, like the typical, like a cliche artist. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if I would say there's things that haunt me, but I will say I think that you can't work in newsrooms for a long time without being somewhat cynical mm-hmm. um, because you tend to see a lot of the really gross and bad side of humanity when you work in a newsroom. Mm-hmm. Not because of the people in the newsroom, obviously, but... Mm-hmm. Just because the news can be very depressing. Mm. Um, people do terrible things to each other. Real, really? Oh, yeah. Like I've mostly worked at uh, tabloid type newspapers. I worked at the New York Post for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think humans have a natural cognitive bias towards bad news, actually, because bad mm. news is more important mm-hmm. for your brain. Right. Like you need to be aware of bad news. Right good news is kind of icing on the cake (laughs) right bad news has much more urgency for our brains so a lot of tabloid news is bad news is there a lot of stuff that most people don't get to see uh i think the things that get edited out have to do with uh explicit expressions of death and dismemberment Mm -hmm. so you've seen a lot of that Uh, it photographically yes so does that does that affect you oh yeah sometimes more than others um i think I do have a bit of a hard shell around myself, but mm-hmm. sometimes things get through. I was very affected by the massacre in Las Vegas. Mm. I was working the night that that happened, mm. and uh, I stay, actually ended up staying on until 6 in the morning mm. to help guide the coverage. Um, and we were seeing a lot of pictures of dead people before mm. the slot editors started editing it out and like making the, sure what editors i'm sorry so there there are editors between the photographers and the newswire slot editors mm-hmm. 
Are those the people like at Facebook but that look at the sites and take them down because <laughs> no, they're no, too no. horrible? No, it's very technical. But what my point was, we were seeing a lot of pictures of the death and dismemberment. And mm-hmm. there was the, I mean, 600 people were shot that night. No, it's like it was in- just unimaginable. And we were looking at a lot of videos of people panicking, people mm-hmm. who were seriously wounded. And uh, that really stayed with me. That mm-hmm. was a... a really horrible one do you guys talk about that i mean does it affect everybody it does and we do talk about it a lot actually um Mm -hmm. it can be difficult to work on breaking news Mm -hmm. Uh, it affects people psychologically for sure yeah but it's important work it's It's something i believe in right it's journal it's real journalism i mean that's what journalism that's what real journalism is that kind of stuff getting that getting stuff out that people need to see that's difficult but also presenting it in a way that communicates yeah and it's i personally believe my feelings about gun rights are known to anyone who will ask me i feel strongly that we need better gun control in our country and that i think that's a a shining example of why like Mm -hmm. it's so deadly and Mm -hmm. it can hit anywhere and it can hit anyone Mm -hmm. and it would be relatively easy Mm -hmm. for us to do something about Mm -hmm. that politically So I guess what I'm wondering about is that dark area, and I certainly have that, we all have that, uh, or most of us have some of it, is like that dark, that dark buzz that we all have in us. Is that, has that, so I'm thinking in terms of sort of trading, drinking for art, making Mm -hmm. art. So did it, so you were, there's always some of that when you're drinking, right? Sometimes. And then there's always, has it made it better? Has it made it less? Or is it just a different way of coping with it? I think it's more that it's a different way of coping with it. I think uh, just the way that my brain is wired. I'm a person that experiences a lot of natural free-floating anxiety. Mm-hmm. And uh, drinking was a way of coping with that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that was also a way that was causing me a lot of physical harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, getting into artistic expression is a very different way of coping with mm-hmm. that. I think it's a, in some ways a less complete solution really? um, in that I've still needed to deal with a lot of social anxiety. You have social anxiety? So much social like what? anxiety. What are you talking about? You <laughs> don't know. seem like you do. You're like the, you're, you're somebody that everybody really, you know, gravitates to and respects. And well, then enjoys. I must be coping with it very effectively. You're, you're fucking hiding it. <laughs> you're fucking hiding it, girl. Well, that's what alcoholics do. Yeah. So you're, uh, so you're so you're just not have you always been like that like ang- ang- what's so, oh for what sure i was like painfully i was painfully shy as a child like mm-hmm. i w- i wouldn't even talk to people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i mean look other humans can be very dangerous <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> and true. uh scary and their feelings are uh uncontrollable yes. like uh damn other humans they're horrible they're they're Other wacky humans are <laughs> fucked up so in a way um the the endeavors that you're doing like the transcender thing and the art you know the um drawing uh they're not classes sessions whatever you call them uh is a way of being social without having to actually just be there to socialize yeah i think also i would take it even a step further and say that um my natural inclination is to isolate and uh be by myself 
because mm-hmm. that's such an easier problem to deal with, just my own anxiety. Mm-hmm. I but it. I don't think that's super healthy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Transcender has been an incredible godsend in that regard mm-hmm. to connect with other artists mm-hmm. in a, a lightly social setting, mm-hmm. to see what they're working on, to see the problems that they're solving, mm-hmm. to see how they're dealing with their being in the world and just encountering everyday life. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how uplifting that is for me. Mm-hmm. I look forward to Transcender every single month. No, it's wonderful. And you guys are really great about managing it and getting the word out and getting such great artists. I mean, it's 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 a really it's a really great it's a really great community experience which is so cool it Uh, blows me away every time you know when we took it over from christopher stout and christopher was running the bushwick art critique group which drew like a hundred people sometimes it was very popular i don't know this is still popular but go ahead (laughs) look and if i do a show i'm glad if i get six people so it's i'm always very very impressed uh, when we started Transcender, we were like, well, you know, the artists will have to come. So that'll be six people. <laughs> um, and so we sometimes have standing room only now. Yeah, it's, yeah, for sure. It the ones just I've been blows to. me away. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so easy to think in our modern world that we're just isolated in our little mm-hmm. bubble and we're the only ones who are dealing with it. But in fact, yeah, there are people just like us. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I know, you know, I am actually like, I have a lot of social anxiety myself. Can you tell that about me? I'm not surprised. You're not surprised? Yes, you can. <laughs> I can tell. You can tell how socially anxious I am, right? I think I can because um, I see you as using performance as a way to overcome that. Really? Even like out in the world? You think I'm performing all the time? I think you're performing a lot of the time. Ah, I've I heard that too. I've heard that too. I think you're right about that. I'm, yeah, I got to deal with, I believe you me. I think you're right about that. But I also huh, wind up in so, there's so many, you know, socializing is different than a one-on-one thing. For sure. It? Oh, absolutely. And uh, throughout most of my life until like the last five, 10 years, that was really most of my life being alone or one-on-one and so I think I am not comfortable with 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 all the socializing that people that I do that uh, my husband documents <laughs> so it's weird people think I'm really social you know when I when I was newly sober I w- I always have gone to a lot of art openings um, but doing it sober for the first few times was so hard for me oh man and I would make myself a deal like I'm gonna talk to three people and then I'm gonna leave (laughs) and I had to complete that and of course I'm OCD so I had to complete it um but I would very carefully pick out three people I'm gonna exchange words with and then I'm gonna leave because it was too hard otherwise Mm, I didn't know anybody I didn't I had so much trouble making connections I was so happy to find Christopher's group. I'm so happy to see people from Transcender out at openings now. Mm-hmm. Now that that process is so much easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I think you know it's so common that people feel this way, and we all sort of keep it to ourselves, thinking everybody else is just you know swimming along. Well, it's a self fulfilling prophecy, right? 
to be neurotic? Well, if you are socially isolated, it's natural to think no one shares in my pain, in my experience, because you're socially isolating yourself. Well, yeah, but it's also like I can't deal with other people, so I won't go out or I'll go out by myself, which is really more common. And then um, you wind up perpetuating it because you're always alone. Exactly. So have you spent long periods alone or? Yeah, I think I'm I'm fairly comfortable being alone. Like Mm -hmm. I actually love going to the movies by myself. Yeah, me too. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, I hear (laughs) you. And of course, I spend hours by myself in my studio, uh-huh. um, which is very comfortable for uh-huh. me. I love it. Sometimes I'm like, I can't believe I have to go do something because I just want to stay in my studio. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. But I also work in a very social well, environment. Say, like yeah. uh, a newsroom doesn't have most most of them anyway. Don't have partitions or dividers. We work all at one long table. Uh, we're constantly interacting mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think that's probably a good way. But being, you know, it's funny. Like there's a way of being social and then there's a way of interact, of getting, being productive with other people. True. Which is always, always to me feels so much more rewarding, right? Or whatever. That doesn't make me nervous if I know we have something we have to get done together. Shared goals are extremely powerful. <laughs> That's what we need, folks. Shared goals, more shared goals. So um, we've got a few minutes left. I want to make sure that we get all your feelings about the show coming up. So how is it? So we were saying that, um, you know, it's pretty awesome if you look back because five years is not a very long time to be looking back on like going like you have this big solo show coming up. So there must be a like I'm like, wow, that's a big achievement. Thank you very much. Because most people, you know, we all take like 20 years to get to that or something like that. You know, so is are you feeling, Are you? what are you feeling? Are you feeling like, yeah, or? It feels like a big accomplishment to me. I'm very excited to share this work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, it feels very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited to take the stage. Mm-hmm. And what about like your family, like and other people that have known you for a long time? Like, what kind of comments, or like, what have you, what what kind of feedback have you gotten so far? Oh, it's been widely supportive. Yeah, Yeah. I feel like I have a lot of people in my corner who are invested in my success. Doesn't it feel a little bit like a wedding somehow, or something like that? Kind of. Yeah. It's weird. I had like this very intense dream about getting married last night. I think it does have that have that cast to it like it is a big life event for me like mm-hmm. of that magnitude mm-hmm. it's something i've been preparing for for a forever. year and a half now. well yeah. forever really forever yeah and uh and i do think it is a momentous but that's a funny thing about um a sh- having a show like this i think is that it's not it's about the work but it's also a real milestone it is for me for sure and um, I think that it's really important to remember remember that or allow, like, you know, I don't know how I don't know how you feel. Sometimes I feel like if I have something big coming up, I feel like I get nervous. You know, like oh, it's so big. Oh, it's not that big. Oh, it's so big. But <laughs> well, but it's better it's, just to own it. I think it's really important to note here that it's not something I'm doing alone at all. I have a huge team of people supporting me mm-hmm. emotionally, 
uh, Christopher Stout, who really believed yes. in my work and held my hand through this. Yeah. Like you and I are friends. You've been super supportive of my work. Simon Levinson at Drawing New York, I, whose drawing sessions I go to, who published my work oh, on his yeah. site. I mean, so many people have reached out to me and helped me. I feel like so supported by my community. That's so great. It's incredible, actually. You know, like, Sibeli Vera, she is the one who encouraged me at the very beginning. I She used to be my studio mate. She's the one who brought me right. into Brooklyn Fireproof. She really believed in me, too. Like, there are so many people oh, who Sibeli's just so great, that one. gave me a hand and were like, you can do it. Wow. Wow. Is anybody from your job coming? Oh, probably. I hope so. Shout out to the Daily Mail photo desk. Is the Daily Mail photo desk aware of all this? Oh, yes. They very aware. Yes, for sure. Actually, Alyssa Hargrove, who I work with, uh, actually just shot pictures of me that you can see on my website. She came to my studio. Oh, wow. Oh, neat. Neat. Maybe we'll put one of those. Sure. Yeah. And, um, what are you wearing? Can we ask that? Oh, yeah. So um, I have a friend who's working on a costume for me, and I'm actually not going to describe it too much because okay. it's going to be a surprise. Oh, wow. So you're <laughs> having like a special thing made. Oh, it's we're, See, we're going all you. out. We're going all out. See, this is why I did not want to get married <laughs> because it, the whole wedding thing to me is so stupid when when you put it in terms of like, like it makes it's like an achievement you hooked a guy whereas when you have a show like the one you're having that's a genuine achievement that's a a life marker in a journey through life and a journey through your art which art transcends all artists and all of us and time and history and everything it's just one big big bucket that we're all just pouring up pouring ourselves into right throughout throughout the throughout humanity sure and to have a a milestone in that bucket is just huge and to me and i think probably this is what we're talking about is that with you know that is a real uh profound i think it's really profound profound milestone i mean you know i know there'll be like some some guy who got off at the wrong subway stop and wanders in and doesn't know where the fuck he is and what is this painting what what are these what's this but um on a personal level i think for you the artist there is something really um meaning meaning very meaningful or you know life affirming yeah yeah for sure (laughs) yeah and you know it's really interesting because um my um god God, may she rest in peace, Annie Heron, who is a uh, was a wonderful, wonderful uh, Williamsburg curator. Uh, th- her her words that always ring in my head is, uh, well, she said, "Real artists are like monks," to me. But she also uh, said that when you show the work, it changes the work. Yeah, it does. And uh, I always find that really, really interesting. The crazy thing to me is I've participated in Bushwick Open Studios for the last few years, and I'm constantly having people come into my studio and explain my work to me. Not, And I'm not saying that's negative. That's amazing Mm -hmm. because I don't always understand what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And for someone I don't know to come into my studio and be like, oh, I see what you did here. It's this. That's just 
that's a gift. That's mm-hmm. incredible. It, it yeah. Well, it kind of completes the cycle of making the work and getting the response and like having it go through somebody else back to you. That's what tells me that the work is communicating effectively. Right. 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 Um, you know, I also want you guys to know this about Sherilyn that uh, I don't I want to make sure we don't gloss over this. But Sherilyn is also more than um, any artist that I know personally that I'm aware of is in, into making her own paints and her own materials. And um, I mean, I find that incredible, like another deeper level of relating to the work. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I used to run a small art supply store on Bedford Avenue called Sarcana Art Materials. And um, we made all the paint by hand. Well, most of it. We didn't make the titanium white. But yeah, we ground it out by hand in a very old fashioned process. And I really learned to have an appreciation for what goes into art materials and um, although I don't run that business anymore and mm-hmm. I haven't for many years, mm-hmm. um, I still sometimes make paint with my friends. Um, I've gone to Kremer Pigments and made paint there. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very sensitive to the materials and it's mm-hmm. something I love to talk about. So if you come to the opening and you have art materials questions, feel free to hit me up. Yeah, you're a real nerd about that. Super nerdy. So does it feel different when you've made your own paint? Oh, Yeah. Uh, one of the last pieces I made for Supermassive Black Hole, I did the whole underpainting with um, this ultramarine blue that I made with my friend Jacob. And it has some marble dust in it. And it's just the quality of it. It's so beautiful. And it's so intensely blue. Like, it's really? the bluest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so when you look at other paintings, when you go to an exhibit, like, let's say an art fair or museum, whatever, can you tell a lot about the quality of the paint? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something I think about and look at for sure. Can you tell like a higher end, like a more well-known artist uses better paint or can you tell if they do or they don't or? Sometimes, but it's more, um, I'm often looking at an older work if it's falling apart. Mm-hmm. Ah, I see. I see. It's the, la- the right, whether it lasts. If you're an art materials nerd, that's something you obsess on. Okay, we have one minute left, and I have to I have to say goodbye. So, say your three okay. three big big influences, famous artists. Can you come up, come up with that? Yeah, Robert Rauschenberg, um, James Rosenquist. Mm, I'm going to say George O'Keefe as well. All right, that's excellent. So, come to the show. Uh, the opening is next Saturday, next Friday. What am I saying? Friday, September seventh. Why Six, did I say that? Six p.m. to nine p.m. One nineteen Ingram. Art or art during the occupation gallery. The n- name of the show is "Submissive Black Hole" by Charlene Neidhart. Supermassive black hole. Supermassive black hole. And uh, I have all the information on my Facebook page, so you can go to that. Um, and also, I want. 